We have been going through Mark's Gospel as a church, and this morning we are at Mark chapter 6, just beginning chapter 6, and we'll read through this morning through to verse 29. So let's come to God's Word together. Mark chapter 6 and verse 1. This is God's word. He went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where does this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people, And heal them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two. And gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts but to wear sandals and not put on two two chinks. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah. And others said he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod's who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him, and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, 
and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Now, if you remember back a few weeks ago to the parable of the sower, we saw that as the seed, as the word of God goes out, some will accept and some will reject. And we saw then from the parable of the seed growing that there is a mystery to how the kingdom of God grows. There's a mystery as to why some accept Jesus and yet some reject Jesus. And we trust that through acceptance and rejection to Jesus Christ, God's sovereign work and purposes are accomplished. And following those seed parables, then, we saw three faith responses. And that's what we've spent the past three weeks looking at. Three incidents where people accepted Jesus, accepted they were hopeless without him, and recognized that he was their only hope of being made well, of being saved. We saw how God brought peace to the lives of those who responded to Jesus in faith. So the demon-possessed man, the woman with the issue of bleeding, and then to Jairus. And we come to chapter 6 now, and we see three cases of rejection to Jesus Christ. If you have been rejecting Jesus, you have heard his word these weeks, you have heard who Jesus is and why he has come, but if you have been rejecting Jesus, well, the simple challenge to you today is do not reject him any longer. Perhaps as believers, uh, as those who have accepted Christ and, and you're striving to sow that seed, as it were, you're striving to present the gospel but perhaps feeling deflated when you experience rejection to the gospel and and perhaps just not knowing what to do next, well, I think, too, we can learn this morning what our response to rejection should be. So we see three rejections. Firstly, to Jesus, then to the apostles, and then to John the Baptist. And we're just going to take each one in turn this morning. So firstly, rejection to Jesus. We see that in verses 1 to 6. Now, Jesus has returned to his hometown, Nazareth, a small town of about 600 people, and his disciples are with him. Now, as we've seen, news is continuing to spread about Jesus, 
And so his fame is spreading. And it's put in my mind, I imagine, it should be like when the X Factor contestants return home um, to their hometown before the final. And the whole town is waiting there to welcome them and to cheer them on and offer support. But no such celebration for Jesus, the Christ. Now again we see here that, that his emphasis is teaching. Teaching the gospel of God, that is repent and believe in the gospel, in who I am. Well, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. And as we've said before, it wouldn't be unusual to have um, visiting speakers, teachers in the synagogue. But, but, but any of these teachers that would come in, they would be well-trained, they would be well-educated in the scriptures. Now, Jesus hadn't been trained, he hadn't been educated in the scriptures, but he didn't carry the respect and the weight of having studied under some of the best and most respected scholars. Now, of course, we know he didn't need to because, well, he himself was scripture. He was teaching about himself. And as we saw in chapter 1, his teaching came with, with an authority like no other teacher. And we saw there that the people were astonished when he taught because of his authority. Well, here in chapter 6, the people, they were astonished again, but somehow in a different way. Look at what they say in verse 2. Where did this man get these things? I mean, what is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and then the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense to that. Essentially, they were saying, who does he think he is? I mean, we know who he is. It's Mary's son. It's that carpenter, isn't it? He hasn't been educated and trained in the scriptures. He's maybe a hard worker, but, well, he's no better than us. Who gives him the right to stand there and teach us? They were astonished that, that actually Jesus had the audacity to stand and teach them. And so they took offense at him. They, they, they were to scandal. They were scandalized by him. And Jesus responds to them with a well-known saying. He says, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own household. Perhaps here, as, as Jesus refers to himself as a prophet, he's, he's alluding to the death he will face, as, as many of the prophets before him did for their message. But it takes us back again to, to Mark 3. And in Mark 3, we saw Jesus' family trying to, to pull him away from the crowd. Well, because they were embarrassed of him. And they were embarrassed of the, the attraction he was getting. <clears throat> and we saw that stark contrast as, as his family came to get him. They remained on the outside of the house, while, while those who were following Jesus were with him on the inside of the house. And Jesus made the point that those who are his real family are those who do the will of God. 
And here we see, we're seeing another stark contrast from those who had faith in chapter 5, even a Gentile, and were changed by Jesus, to now his own family and people who reject him. And so verse 5, Jesus could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. So as Jesus was rejected, what did he do? Well, he healed a few sick people. In spite of the rejection of the majority, the work of Christ continued. And then he went about among the villages teaching. He took the message of the gospel to other places. When he was rejected, he simply moved on and continued to preach the message of the kingdom. So Jesus is rejected. Secondly, then, the apostles are rejected. We see that in verses 7 to 13. Verse 7, Jesus called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So, verse 12, they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And verse 13 then, they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. In other words, they were expanding the work of Jesus. They were preaching the message of the kingdom and they were casting out demons and healing uh, as a means of verifying their message. Now again, you may remember from chapter 3 where Jesus appointed the twelve and he appointed them so that they might be with him and that he might send them out. And now we're at the point they have been with Jesus, they have spent time with him, they've been watching him, they've been learning from him, and now they are sent out with his authority. And again we see here the authority of Jesus proved as, as he delegates, he gives his authority to the twelve. He could only do that because the authority was his own Well, they're sent out, and Jesus instructs them how they are to go. Look at verse 8. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread, no bag, no money in their belts. But to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And Jesus' point is that they are to travel light. Okay, they are to depend completely on God to provide what they need to accomplish the work of God that he has given them to do. And further, they are to depend on other people. Verse 10, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. They were to depend on people to be hospitable towards them. To provide for their physical needs. And and if they were depending on others to meet their physical needs, well then they didn't need to be concerned about that. They could focus on the mission that they had been sent to do. And Jesus said, remain in the same house. 
So in other words, if you realize there's a house up the road that's able to cater for you better, well, just say where you are. Okay, be content with the provision you are receiving. Because that will keep you focused on the mission. Now, of course, how they were sent off is different to how we might be sent off today to preach the gospel. Okay, if you knock a door in Craigavon, um, dress in a tunic with sandals and a staff in your hand, don't be surprised if you're not asked in. I don't think I would ask you in. But there are principles here, I believe, we can take from this that are helpful for us as we think about ministry. First principle is this, very simple. God can use us. God can use you. God can use us in expanding his kingdom. These twelve so far, they've shown themselves to be pretty weak in faith. They are slow to understand. They're flawed people who often fail. God uses weak, slow, flawed failures. Now, you may say speak for yourself, but I find that encouraging. I don't need to prove my faith better than than someone else's. I, I don't need to be the sharpest tool in the box. I don't need to have the perfect spiritual record to be used by God. In fact, the more I realize my own inadequacies, the more I will depend on God. And that's our second principle. Again, very simple. We should depend upon God. Wherever we strive to bring the gospel, we should depend on God. Go back to those seed parables. God will grow his kingdom in his own way, in his own time. Perhaps you're considering what what we would call full-time ministry. That is, coming away from a current job and perhaps going to full-time study or or taking up a full-time ministry position. And if that's your thoughts right now, it's going to be important that that you don't depend on resources and training and, and finances. As helpful and as important as those things are, They're not what you're depending on, but you depend on God. The one who has called you and is sending you and is able to fulfill his mission through you. Third principle then, be prepared to depend on other people for resources and finances. And again, perhaps it's maybe more applicable to if you're going to what we call full-time ministry, but you need to be prepared to rely on others financially, and perhaps that goes against our grain. But it provides a challenge for us, the local church, also. Where there are those in ministry, and of course that's what we want to see, we want to see people within our local church going to Bible college and taking ministry positions. And if we want to see that, we've got to be prepared to provide for them. We make it our responsibility to ensure that that they're not worried or overly concerned about finances so that that becomes a distraction and actually takes their focus away from what they've been called to do. 
And I think we can see that responsibility very clearly throughout the New Testament. And then you need to be prepared to travel light. Simply be content with what you have. Be content with how you're being provided for. Don't always be looking to to other ministry situations where you may be provided for better. So a few principles um, to think about as we consider ministry. Well, back to your text, verse 11. Finally, Jesus said to the twelve, If any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Now again, this will seem strange to us, but when Jews returned from a Gentile area, they would shake off their feet at the border in case they would bring the uncleanness of the pagans into Israel. And this really symbolized God's judgment upon paganism. But the point here is that if people reject the apostles and their message, they are rejecting Jesus Christ, and if they are rejecting Jesus Christ, they will be judged by God. The apostles don't have any control over that. If the message is rejected, they leave with what the consequences may be, and they move on and continue to preach the gospel. So the apostles are rejected. Thirdly then, John the Baptist is rejected. Now we haven't heard anything more about John since the beginning of Mark. But but we hear now um, how his death came about. So King Herod, now I don't know about you, but when I read King Herod, it always confuses me who we're actually talking about. Now Herod the Great, that was the king when Jesus was born. And when he died, his kingdom was divided between four sons. One of these sons was Herod Antipas, or Herod the Tetrarch, who ruled over Galilee. And this is the Herod that we're speaking about here. So this Herod, he had heard about Jesus, and he was afraid because he thought it was John the Baptist raised from the dead. And Herod was afraid because... He had John beheaded, and there was a thought at that time that if someone was resurrected, it was to bring judgment. So basically, Herod thought that John the Baptist was back from the dead to bring judgment upon him. And the story is remarkable. So we have Herod here. He took a fancy to his brother's wife. Never a good idea. And as ruler, he got what he wanted. So Herodias, his brother's wife, who also happened to be his niece, she married Herod. Now John had been saying to Herod, verse 18, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. John was a fearless preacher. He wasn't afraid to confront Herod about his relationship. And from this then, Herodias held a grudge against John. She wanted him put to death. But Herod wouldn't do this. So instead, Herodias persuaded him 
to put John in prison. And we see that John didn't want to, to, or sorry, Herod didn't want to put John to death because verse 20, Herod knew he was a righteous and holy man. It says, when he heard John speak, he was greatly perplexed and yet he heard him gladly. So it seems that as, as John was in prison, he, he would come up and speak to Herod. Herod respected him. He, it seems he trusted him. It seems that he heard his message. It made him feel uncomfortable, but yet he wanted to hear more. It seems that Herod actually perhaps saw there was truth in what John was saying, but yet he didn't respond. He wouldn't respond. He wouldn't repent and turn to Jesus. Perhaps he feared his wife. Herod was a weak husband. He was also a weak friend. We see here it was his birthday, and he had all the who's who of Galilee at a party. And for entertainment, he had Herodias' daughter dance for them, probably in an erotic way. And perhaps as a means of showing off to his friends, he stupidly offered her anything she wanted as a reward for dancing. So she went straight and asked her mum, Herodias, so it seems she also heavily influenced her daughter as well as her husband. And of course, she used the opportunity to have John put to death. So she asked for the head of John the Baptist, and the girl immediately went and did what her mother requested. But we read verse 26. The king was exceedingly sorry But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. See, Herod knew he had done a foolish thing. And and really, he, he should have backtracked. He should have swallowed his pride. But to save face in front of his eldest guests, he immediately, verse 27, he sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. John was beheaded given to the girl, and the girl brought it to her mother. And when John's disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. And you know, part of me feels a bit gutted for Herod. I mean, we see he, he respected John. He, he seemed to really trust John. He, he, he listened to his message. But he rejected John. And in rejecting John... And his message, he rejected Jesus Christ. So you know, perhaps there are those who say, I, 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 I have respect for God. And I have respect for those people who, who tell me to trust in Christ, but I'm just not quite there yet. Or, or perhaps it's to see a face, to see a face and perhaps to friends or family or, or work people or, or to see a face in, in some other context. Uh, and you've actually felt a bit of a tension, a bit of a pull. But you just don't accept Christ. And perhaps you, we might say you're, you're sitting on the fence. But you see, sitting on the fence is, is rejection. And rejection of Christ is judgment from God. As I said at the start, 
The simple message, if that is you, is do not do this any longer. Accept Jesus, no peace with God. Well, we see the extent of, of Herod's rejection. We, in Luke's Gospel, we, we see where Jesus was on trial, and Pilate sent Jesus to Herod because Jesus belonged to Herod's jurisdiction. And Herod questioned him, and in Luke 23, verse 11, we read, Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. And then Herod sent Jesus back to Pilate to be sentenced to death and crucified. And like John, the prophet, Jesus, the prophet, was unjustly killed, but for the sins of the world. And too, like John, he was given a respectful burial by a friend. But different to John, he rose again, conquering sin and death. And Jesus lives today, offers you forgiveness of sins today. The message is still the same. Repent and believe the gospel. Believe in Jesus Christ. There's salvation in no one else.